0: everybody
1: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the lights out podcast i'm your host josh as always i'm joined in this studio by my producer joel today we are back after taking a week off last week was very rough for me if you didn't hear the news i got really really sick came down with the flu actually which was super fun because I also happened to be moving at the same time. So I was battling flu symptoms oh, man! while packing, trying to get myself moved. And I got to say, it was pretty much hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for like the first couple of days, I thought for sure I had COVID. Like that was the, my main concern, concern was that I have COVID. My wife's pregnant, you know, big issues there. Mm-hmm. So I went and got tested and the test came back negative so i was like what the hell like i haven't been this sick in years it's been a long time yeah like i don't like joel and i just really don't get sick that often i feel like we have pretty good immune systems yeah definitely so you know when i do get sick it's usually really really bad hits you hard Yeah, yeah it really did so you know we weren't planning to take a week off and i was really bummed that i wasn't gonna be able to podcast um just i mean my congestion was um, <laughs> would have been miserable to listen yeah to you sound so episode. much better now hopefully i do i mean i am I feel like listening back to myself i sound a little bit congested still so i apologize in advance but i was like i am not taking another week off we've got so many cool episodes coming your way Hell yeah and today we are covering the most haunted places in atlanta which I love this kind of around the world approach we're taking to the hauntings and haunted places because there uh, you know a lot of the cases it's just very difficult to do a full in-depth episode on because there's just not enough Mm. or you know it might be boring because we have to do so much history so I really like sort of breaking down some of these places and covering multiple locations and just getting straight to the good stuff absolutely so that's what we're going to do today is jump into the most haunted places in Atlanta also, merch is right around the corner. I know I keep saying this, but we'll be releasing the designs hopefully here in the next week or so so you can you know start saving your money because the merch is going to be super fire this time around. I'm really excited to unveil all of it to you. Oh, me too. It's really cool. I'm really happy with how everything turned out. Also, sponsors have been a little bit light lately. So if you want to help support the show, one way you can do it for free is just subscribing to us on YouTube. And Spotify, or following us on Spotify rather, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, it does really help us out. Also, you can support my CBD company, HighloveWellness.com. We have all sorts of good stuff over there. You get 10% off with code Lights Out. But let's go ahead and jump into the most haunted places in Atlanta. So, from the mass genocide and displacement of Native Americans to the bloodiest civil war that swept through the American South, Atlanta has witnessed some of the most horrific events in US history it's no wonder the old buildings battlefields and cemeteries hold on to some of the strongest paranormal vitality in the nation here are seven of the most haunted places Atlanta has to offer the first haunted place on our list is home to one of the strangest events in Atlanta if you don't believe in ghosts or paranormal activity even a logical explanation for what happened to the house might be scarier than a paranormal explanation at 1114 Fountain Drive, Atlanta, Georgia. A slow fog crept in around the house on a late Tuesday night, September 8th, 1987. The small brick house sat on a bank just off of the main road in a quiet neighborhood. It was built decades prior in 1945. It was a three-bedroom home with a kitchen and a living room, just like any other home along the street. An older couple, William and Minnie Clyde Winston, had lived there for more than two decades. William was 79 years old, and Minnie was 77. They had raised three children, but by 1987, they were all adults and had left home. William, who went by Willie, had struggled with health issues, and his kidneys were slowly failing, and he often had to go through dialysis, and Minnie had to act as his caregiver. With their children out of the home, they often became lonely, and the place felt completely empty. On the night of September 8th, 1987, minnie decided to take her evening bath her warm bathtub was a place to unwind and relax and she spent most of her days caring for her husband and not only was it hard work but it was stressful so every day that was the one thing she looked forward to was getting into the bathtub and just having a few moments to herself they had locked the doors for the night activated the alarm system and she made sure willie was resting in his bed after drawing a warm bath and getting inside she rested a towel behind her head and closed her eyes she soaked in the bath until her skin began to prune and she finally decided that it was time to get out of the tub but as she grabbed a towel and stepped out onto the bathroom floor she noticed that underneath her foot was a pool of something dark and red it definitely wasn't water it looked a bit like wine but she wasn't drinking that night Minnie tried to remain calm while she tried to figure out what was going on She didn't know exactly where this dark red liquid had even come from, and at first she didn't think it was blood. But as she stepped out of the puddle and looked down at it, she knew it couldn't have been anything else, because this dark red liquid smelled like iron. She also noticed that the liquid was bubbling up from the tile floor. She looked up at the ceiling to see if it was coming from the attic, but the ceiling was completely white. Her first thought was that her husband Willie must have hurt himself. She knew his health was poor and he easily could have had an accident. So she ran out of the bathroom and called out for Willie. But as she opened her mouth to scream, she stopped. Because right after swinging open the bathroom door, she noticed that the red blood had covered the entire hallway too. It was everywhere, along the baseboards and pouring down the white walls. The droplets were about the size of a silver dollar and they oozed from the walls. As she looked closer at one of the droplets, a splatter of blood shot out from the wall. It was literally squirting out of the wall, just like blood squirts out of a main artery when it gets nicked. The blood shot out like a geyser across the entire hallway. It only took a few moments for the entire hallway to be painted red with oozing blood, and every few seconds, more blood would squirt out from the wall. Minnie later described it like a sprinkler, spraying blood out from the wall in terror and confusion she ran through the bloody hallway and down to willie's room where she opened the door turned on the light and shook her husband by his shoulders to wake him up willie woke up dazed wondering what was going on and she was like come look at all the red liquid pouring from the walls by the time willie could lift himself from the bed and walk out to the hallway though puddles of blood had started to form on the floors and as they searched around the house, they noticed that blood had covered the walls and the floors of almost every room. It was in the hallways, the kitchen, living room, one of the bedrooms, the basement, and the crawl space. Imagine being this old couple, having this happen to you, and having no explanation of what or where this liquid came from. So they did really the only thing that they could do, and that was call 911. The city dispatched police units and EMTs to the scene. And recently, murder had nearly tripled in the city of Atlanta from the year before. So when dispatch got a call that blood was found all over the inside of a house, they suspected that a murder had occurred. But when EMTs arrived, they never found a body or any source of where this blood could have came from. And they couldn't find anything wrong with the Winston couple either. Willie told them that he wasn't bleeding, his wife wasn't bleeding, and nobody else had even been in the house. Neither of them were injured. So, the paramedics had no idea where the blood was coming from. Police weren't convinced that the substance was even blood at all, so they took samples and sent them to a state crime lab. The Associated Press News reported a few days later that not only was the substance in fact blood, it was human blood. But it wasn't Willie's or Minnie's. The blood found at the house was type O, but both of the Winstons had type A blood. First responders had initially thought it was Willie's dialysis equipment malfunctioning, but that wasn't the case either. And nobody else was reportedly in the house that night. There was no clear source for where the blood was coming from, and there was no explanation for how it had appeared. This literally made the local newspaper, which is crazy to think about. When police interviewed the Winstons, they said that they had locked their doors and set the alarm at 9:30 p.m. that night. The house was perfectly clean. They had no animals, rats, mice, or roaches in the house. And again, the night was just like any other ordinary night. Minnie discovered the blood on the floor two hours later around 11.30 p.m. And when she did, the alarm hadn't been tripped. And when police searched around the house, there wasn't any evidence that an intruder had actually broken in. As the investigation went on, the mystery of the blood became stranger by the day. One of the detectives that had been on the force for 10 years said that he had never seen anything like it before. As the days passed by and the police were still trying to figure out where this blood had come from obviously one thought that crossed their mind was that maybe this was all a hoax but they didn't find anything to suggest that the couple had actually put together this elaborate hoax and what's even stranger is that the police couldn't even find any sort of evidence of a crime there had obviously been no assault and no break-in and as the investigation dragged on for two more days Minnie had become exhausted from all the media attention and the police questioning. People came to wander around their house, and others began prank-calling the Winstons' landline nonstop. Local journalists stormed their house and called it the House of Blood, or the Bleeding House. Video journalists swept through the house and recorded the specks of blood on the walls and the pools that had formed on the floors. The Winstons' small, modest home became a neighborhood spectacle, and it gained attention that they didn't want. Minnie told the National News that she still didn't know where the blood had come from and she was tired of all these people asking her so many questions. She even said that if any more reporters came to her front door, she wasn't going to open it. Everyone had become obsessed with the bleeding house and everyone wanted to figure out the answer to this mystery. But as the days passed, no questions were answered. On September 12th, 1987, local police admitted that they had no leads and if they couldn't find any evidence that a crime had been committed. Their investigation would be over. Blood specialists at the scene didn't think that a murder had happened, even though there was enough blood splattered around the house to drain someone of all their blood. For the crazy enthusiasts that became obsessed with the house, they kept bothering the Winstons. People kept showing up to their house unannounced and uninvited. It got to a point that the Winstons began yelling out of the windows at anyone who came by. They would shout that there wasn't any more blood in the house and they didn't want anything else to do with it. They just wanted to be left alone. But their annoyance only attracted more people. Since the Winstons didn't want media attention, many believe they weren't in it for the fame. So it made the bleeding house seem like it wasn't just a hoax made up for attention or money. After a month and a half had passed since the incident, police still had no clue where the blood came from, but they still dragged on the investigation. On October 24th, one of the officers was quoted saying that they hadn't stopped the investigation because they knew that houses didn't just randomly bleed from the walls. So there had to be something more to this. But again, they had no idea where the blood had come from. By then, the Winstons were completely fed up with everyone involved. The local journalists and the police had spent enough time searching the house and asking questions. So after several months, the police finally gave up. Since they couldn't determine a crime had been committed, they had no reason to continue the case. And to this very day, this mystery is still unsolved. Of course, this didn't stop everyone from pitching their own theories about what happened. And even after 30 years, people still talk about it. So what could possibly be going on with the Georgia Bleeding House? There's two main theories that exist. Many think that the blood that many saw coming out of the walls was of course just a hoax. Even one officer believed that the case was a bunch of trickery. Anyone could have gone around the house spraying blood. But the big questions are, who had access to this blood? And what was their motive? And where did it come from? Because the blood wasn't the Winstons. After people began digging into the Winstons, they found out that the family problems had existed for a while before the incident. At first, many thought it might have been the elderly couple trying to get their children's attention. They didn't come around very much, so maybe they just wanted to cause a scene in order to get their attention. Perhaps it's possible that Willie actually stole the blood from a hospital. I mean, Willie was a dialysis patient after all, and maybe he used that stolen blood to cover the house. But getting access to someone else's blood as a patient is extremely difficult. So investigators began looking to the children and their motivations. Police later found out that one of their daughters actually worked as a nurse and had access to human blood. One of the motives might have been to get their parents declared incompetent by the state so that the children could take over their finances. So on the night of September 8th, it's possible that maybe one of the children snuck into the house when their mom was in the bathtub and their dad had already gone to bed and coated the whole house with blood. The other main theory is that the house was truly under some sort of supernatural or paranormal curse. But this would have been an isolated paranormal event because there's never been any evidence of any other paranormal activity occurring in the home. But again, the house was still built in the 1940s and plenty of unreported things could have happened throughout the decades leading up to September 8th. Much later when the Winstons were asked about the incident after the fact, They had given different answers each time. Sometimes they said it was just rust and mud. Other times they said it was just red dye that had leaked out of a rug. Or maybe it was just contaminated water coming from rusty pipes. They said that if it really was blood, they would have moved out of their house. Even though the blood lab confirmed it was human blood across their walls and floors, the Winstons chose to live in denial. After all, they had lived there for 22 years, and they weren't about to leave. Willie Winston died two years later, and it's unknown what happened to Minnie. The house at 1114 Fountain Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, still stands today. And whoever owns the bleeding house either believes it was all a hoax or doesn't mind owning a cursed home built with living walls that ooze blood from its veins. So this one is a really, really tricky one because I think the theory that this was a hoax is a pretty strong one if you think about it. Mm-hmm. That oftentimes there's more going on below the surface in a lot of these stories, especially with the families involved.
0: Yeah. And I can't help but compare this story to other stories we've covered. And one thing I find in this one is it's super unique. I mean, we haven't seen like blood oozing out of walls in any other story. Uh, The only thing I could compare it to is sometimes there's goo that appears randomly. Right. um, But not
1: necessarily blood. Not blood something that is unidentifiable usually yeah. um, or I guess you know we don't it's not often that these substances are captured and sent yeah. in for testing no. so it's inter- it's interesting though that the blood that was taken the sample that was taken was sent to a lab and confirmed to be real human blood I think it's very unlikely that Minnie and Willie did this I think it's very possible that a family member, yeah could have been involved with this in order to try to say you know oh they're they're crazy they need you know we need to take over control of them and their finances i mean people do do that
0: oh yeah we see finance all the time being a big motive
1: yeah so and i think it's difficult because Minnie and willie's initial observations and their retelling of the story does change over time Mm -hmm. and because i mean at first it's like well how is their blood squirting out of the wall? Like a geyser. That to me is like really weird. And if that's in fact what they saw, then, I mean, there's no way a family member is going to be able to make that happen. I mean, that'd be very difficult to set up this like elaborate thing where blood's shooting out of the wall. and looks totally. It's almost like somebody
0: filled the inside of the walls with blood, but that's a lot of blood. Like, where are you going to get all that
1: blood? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, from the, the few pictures that I've seen it, there's definitely a good amount of blood and in even then too, I'm like, well, if a family member truly stole blood, if they're a nurse, I mean, that would be pretty risky. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm sure there's laws and regulations about stealing blood as a nurse. If there's any nurses out there, let us know. But like how hard would it be to steal a patient's blood or enough blood to cover like a whole house with it, because you got to remember too the ob- based on the observations from the couple. I mean, we're talking multiple rooms, the floor, the basement, the crawl space. So I'm like, that's so much. That's blood. a ton of fucking blood. I yeah. mean, we're talking buckets and buckets of blood. Uh huh. And I really have a hard time believing that a family member would risk their career, yeah, to set up this hoax. I know. Yeah, it doesn't which make sense. Didn't even work. No. So. As much as a hoax makes the most logical sense here, I'm like, I don't know that I believe that this is a hoax. It's it is hard to believe it's a hoax. Like, but I mean that this that's terrifying to think that blood's just <laughs> seeping out of your house at some point. Like, where's it coming yeah.
0: from? And it kind of makes me think maybe before that, you know the the paranormal spirits were testing them already, and they they were doing things that they couldn't quite see or understand right. or didn't even pay point. attention to so they're like you know what fuck it we're going yeah, all we're in. opening the floodgates <laughs> baby
1: yeah i mean Ugh. shit to take it to that level i mean there is some serious uh, negative yeah. energy in this house absolutely because i mean but again like they never reported any other type of paranormal activity Mm-mm. so it's like i mean maybe it was just they're super old yeah. didn't notice anything that was happening. <laughs> they couldn't hear the knocks. They no, couldn't. They, they still didn't leave after seeing all the blood. So. Yeah, didn't even work after all that. I no. mean, and, and the the fact that the police investigated this, I'm like, I feel like the police would have been able to figure out and trace the blood somehow, right? And would have eventually figured out where the blood came from and somebody would have been held responsible for that much blood. I mean, we're talking about gallons and gallons <laughs> yeah, and gallons of a blood. Lot. I don't think anybody's just got access to, unless you're running... Blood on the black market. I don't think anybody's <laughs> got access to that much human blood. No. If you do, that's scary. And if yeah, and
0: if it was taken from a hospital, I would think that they have like checkout systems. So that would have been immediate red flag to see. Oh, we there have would have been some of blood tracking. Out. Yeah, some
1: tracking that they would have found. There's no way. I, I really don't believe that a family member set this up or like yeah. did this. I, I think this is a true true mystery. Very just, bizarre like, one. Yeah, maybe there's something up with this house. I'm sure there. If you dug into the history of the house enough, there. Eventually there might be something that happened there or perhaps the land even. I mean, yeah, definitely possible. It's a really wild one though. The Georgia bleeding house. Yeah. So the next haunted place on our list has a long history that dates back to the American civil war when mayhem spread across the entire city and only a few buildings were left standing in Marietta, Georgia, one of Atlanta's biggest suburbs, a three story brick building sits on Depot street right near the town square. This building was constructed in 1845, making it one of the oldest in the area. It was first meant to be a cotton warehouse, but it was later converted into a hotel in 1855. A new owner installed several rooms and lobbies, and soon the Kennesaw House was open for business. But within another ten years, the building would witness some of the worst acts of violence in U.S. history, and the only reason the Kennesaw House is one of the oldest buildings in the area is because the rest of the buildings were either burned or destroyed. As the American Civil War swept across the nation in the 1860s, Atlanta became its next victim. General Sherman marched his Union troops around Atlanta in the summer of 1864. Seventeen deadly battles surrounded the area, and the Kennesaw House turned into a war hospital for the Confederate Army. Hospital beds lined the inside, and they packed as many wounded soldiers as they could into each room. Nurses ran through the building to treat the wounded men, and their screams and moans filled the hallways. As you can probably imagine, the medical science at the time wasn't ready for the new rifled cannons they used in the war. Men had their limbs blown off and giant holes carved into their chests. In the decades before, many of the wounded were left on the battlefield to die, but in the 1860s, ambulances became more and more common on the battlefield. So now the war hospitals were completely filled with injured men. In the Kennesaw House, many men ended up dying from their wounds, and their bodies were dragged out of the building and buried in mass Confederate graves nearby. As years passed, many visitors have witnessed the ghosts of fallen soldiers in the building's basement. Through the 1900s, the building changed into several different retail shops and offices. But today, it's the Marietta Museum of History. But even though it's changed throughout the years, the spirits of dead Confederate soldiers still dwell in the dark basement, far away from any sunlight. Visitors have even seen a full hospital scene where grisly Confederate soldiers lay on their backs and scream in pain while a doctor sticks his metal pinchers into their wounds. After digging around inside of them, the doctor removed bullets and shrapnel from their insides and blood pours down onto the operating tables. Luckily, other paranormal sightings in the buildings are far less disturbing. A female spirit sometimes appears on the first floor usually wearing an old-fashioned dress with pink trim, and she often waves to visitors before vanishing. Some believe this is the original owner's wife, and she smiles and waves like she has no idea what horrors are down in the basement. In recent years, a paranormal investigation group, Ghost Hounds, investigated the house and caught what appeared to be a ghostly woman figure on film. The museum director, Dan Cox, has also captured images taken from the security cameras. So if you're looking for a good place to potentially see some paranormal activity, the Kennesaw House might be a good place to stop while you're in Marietta, Georgia. But not far from the Kennesaw House is the Kennesaw Mountain National Battlefield. One of the most important battles from the Atlanta campaign occurred there, and it's now preserved on a 2,965-acre park. But decades before the war broke out, this area and its surroundings used to be Cherokee Territory. Along the rolling green hills, they had thrived here for thousands of years before European contact. And as time went on, many of the Cherokee people began adopting some of the cultural patterns of the white settlers by 1820. Many Cherokee leaders saw their people's culture and strength falling apart. Before long, the Cherokee people had either completely assimilated or were removed from the area. Those who refused were slaughtered by white Americans who wanted their land. There was a popular song in Georgia at the time, And one of the lyrics went, All I ask in this creation is a pretty little wife and a big plantation way up yonder in the Cherokee Nation. From 1830 to 1850, nearly 60,000 Native Americans were removed from their homelands and pushed west of the Mississippi River. Many died from exposure, disease, and starvation along the way. And this trail was later known as the Trail of Tears. Today, the Kennesaw Battlefield is known for the importance in the Civil War, but this area has seen violence and horror long before that. Some of Atlanta's oldest ghosts still wander the fields. Some are believed to be ancient Cherokee spirits, while others are the Union and Confederate soldiers who died there in the summer of 1864. Over 5,000 soldiers died on this battlefield between June 19th and July 2nd, and many were unable to find rest. Today, hikers in the area have reported seeing confederate soldiers walking through the park, wearing bloody war-torn clothing. Their gray uniforms fall to pieces while they slowly march across the grass. And sometimes old war cries can be heard off in the distance as well as footsteps. People who live nearby say that the soldiers have materialized in their homes even, and creep through their bedrooms looking for a place to sleep. They're looking for a place to finally put themselves to rest, not yet realizing they are already dead these types of locations make complete sense to me i mean whenever there's a mass loss of life in an area especially from a war and the civil war i mean such a bloody and just devastating war
0: yeah and it's so sad what they did to the native americans because that was their land
1: oh yeah don't even get me started on the native americans and how screwed they've been Mm -hmm. from the
0: jump because they could have had you know supernatural like security barriers that they do in their rituals and stuff. Cause we've seen in the past, like native American land can be protected by possibly supernatural forces. Yeah. So I mean,
1: most native American tribes and their native American people are very in tune with the spiritual world and, and do believe in, you know, sort of this other realm that exists. Yeah. And you know, they, they've used that to their advantage for thousands and thousands of years. And I mean, you know, then, then, white Europeans came along and just forced all of them out and committed unspeakable acts, you know, oftentimes. So, I mean, the paranormal activity that occurs in this area, the Kennesaw house and Kennesaw battlefield, I think.
0: Yeah, no question. Yeah, I mean, just
1: the sheer amount of sightings that there's been there and just, I mean, it makes sense that this is such a hotspot for paranormal activity. But the next haunted location we're gonna dive into is one that hides behind a mask of elegance and popularity but beneath the mask hides a horrid past. In downtown Atlanta, a beautiful building covered in lights sits on the corner of Ellis and Peachtree Street. Here is the famous Ellis Hotel, usually advertised as a must-stay location in the city. But it's also one of the most haunted locations in the downtown area. And just like most other haunted locations, its long history unravels the dark seeds of its past. The first owner, William Weinkoff, had moved to Georgia as a child in the late 1800s, And by his 20s, he was ready to build up Atlanta. Since most of the city had been destroyed in the Civil War, many people flocked here to stake their claim on the land. William built the Ansley Park neighborhood for his first project. And this neighborhood actually still stands today. And after several more years of building up Atlanta, William wanted to build a hotel in the middle of downtown. So he hired the famous architect W.L. Stoddart. He had already designed several other urban hotels in the western U.S., had made a name for himself so he got to work and designed a modern building of steel and concrete at the time a 15-story building was massive so when he came to william with the design he was so impressed that they didn't even bother adding a fire escape and they even took it one step further and advertised his hotel as absolutely fireproof same way that the titanic promised that it was unsinkable the 15-story hotel opened up in 1913 and it was originally called the Weinkauf Hotel. William was so excited about the hotel that he moved his family into the 10th floor. While they lived in suites 11 and 12, they enjoyed the view and loved being able to walk around downtown. But in 1929, the Great Depression came, and William fell in hard times. He ended up selling the hotel to another family, but they allowed him and his family to stay and live in the hotel. Eventually, the Great Depression passed. And while things were looking up for the hotel tragedy was right around the corner around 3 a.m on december 7 1946 a bellboy was walking down the fifth floor hall when he noticed a smell of smoke in the air as he turned a corner a fire had broken out in one of the rooms it's suspected that the fire was started by a lit cigarette and it quickly spread catching fire to the carpet beds and curtains unfortunately the only way out of the hotel for all the guests was one single staircase the building codes in 1911 only required one staircase for the lot size of the building so while guests tried to scramble to the staircase and escape the building they became trapped the fire alarm screeched as smoke filled the building there were far too many people crammed into the stairwell and no one could move meanwhile the fire spread through the entire fifth floor and the people above the fifth floor became trapped a night shift employee finally called 911 around 3:42 a.m. The Atlanta Fire Department eventually sent 385 firefighters to the hotel, but they only had 11 ladders with them. As they set up the ladders to try and help the people escape from above the 5th floor, they quickly realized that 11 ladders wasn't enough. As the guests looked down, they saw the fire growing by the minute, and only so many people could escape on the ladders. And at that point, many knew that their fate was sealed. So in desperation, people began trying to jump to the building next door. But the jump was more than 10 feet. They tried to grab the ledges of the building. But many of them fell to their deaths. Bodies began plummeting to the concrete ground surrounding the firefighters. Blood splattered across the concrete, many of the jumpers died on impact. Some of the falling bodies even crashed on top of the firefighters below. Those that didn't die instantly screamed out in pain before eventually bleeding out. Some of the firefighters tried to set up the ladders across the two buildings like a bridge, but far too many people were still trapped, and the people just kept jumping to their deaths. One of the bodies found on the sidewalk was later identified as William Weinkoff's wife. At the time, they were both in their 70s, and William was later found dead in a hallway near a suite. He had died of smoke inhalation. Later, when newspapers mentioned his death, many said that the captain had gone down with the ship. As the terror continued inside the hotel, a Georgia Tech student named Arnold Harold was on his way home from a dance. As he crossed through the downtown, he heard the commotion from the fire, so he decided to head towards it, and that's when he saw the hotel ablaze. Several floors had become a massive inferno oven. He ran up to the building and pulled a camera from his bag. In the 1940s, it was rare to have a camera on hand, but Arnold must have brought it to the dance he was at earlier. As he began taking pictures of the building, he noticed something fall in front of him. It was a quick blur towards the ground. And when he later developed his film, he noticed that he had gotten a close-up picture of a woman falling from the building. Her name was Daisy McCumber, and she had been a guest at the hotel. Luckily, she ended up surviving her fall. She broke her legs, back, and pelvis, And had multiple operations after but she lived until 1992 at the age of 86. as for the photo arnold ended up winning the 1947 pulitzer prize for photography but that was only a small part of the media frenzy that came after the weinkoff hotel fire this tragedy became the deadliest hotel fire in u.s history and by the end of the night 65 people were injured and 119 had died After the fire hotel codes were permanently changed, and even President Harry Truman held a conference to discuss hotel safety concerns. But after everything, the building was repaired and later reopened as the Peachtree Hotel in 1951. And over the next several years, it changed into several different venues and ended up vacant for several decades. But in April 2006, after a $23 million renovation, the hotel reopened. And this time, it was named the Ellis Hotel. A few years after it reopened on March 31st, 2009, the hotel was added to the National Registry of Historic Places. They also added a memorial to the victims on the south side of the building. And over the years, the hotel has become more popular than ever, but many of the guests have noticed strange things during their stay. Some have heard the heart-wrenching screams of women and children throughout the hallways, and the fire alarms go off for no reason, especially on the anniversary of the fire on December 7th at 3 15 a.m skeptics think it's just a coincidence or people are pulling pranks but hotel staff and guests have seen apparitions appear in the hallways and hotel rooms some of the ghosts have charred and melted skin across their bodies sometimes the burn wounds are so deep that the bone is exposed others that died from jumping appear with shattered skeletons and they can barely move they lay on the ground deformed As for the staircase where guests had been trapped and killed in a chimney of smoke, many have seen figures rushing up and down the stairs wearing old, early 1900s clothing. Many of the spirits that lost their lives in the fire of 1946 are still trapped inside, and they're in a state of constant panic, trying to find a way to escape the hotel. But they don't realize that no matter how hard they try, they'll always be trapped inside. There is no escape for them. The only escape is to try and find eternal rest. How scary would huh. it be to be in that situation?
0: Terrifying. Just, you would feel
1: helpless and you don't have any options in this case. I know. I think trying to jump to the next building would have probably been the only thing you could do.
0: Yeah. It's better to try and jump to the next building than and burn it, to death. I, yeah. think. I think that would be anybody's suggestion. I mean, I, that's what I would have tried yeah. to do. In a sense, it would be less painful to just die jumping out of the yeah. building than
1: burning alive. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Probably dying on impact and slowly being burned to death would yeah. be absolutely horrible. But, I mean, this is a very clear example of just something horrific happening in a, in a place's history and all that residual spiritual energy left making it a super haunted location before we venture to our next haunted place, which is not far from the Ellis Hotel. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. So not far from the Ellis Hotel, if you take Peachtree North for just a few blocks, you'll come across the old historic Fox Theater. Although it might be a bit predictable to call a building haunted just by its old age, this building has seen millions of people and thousands of performances since it first opened in 1929. And there's no telling how many spirits have lived inside throughout the decades. Its hauntings have become such a big part of the theater that they provide guided tours through its dark nooks and crannies. Many areas are usually off-limits to visitors, and for good reasons. Years ago, the old organ player who worked for the theater passed away, and his ashes were spread near the organ and in some of the back rooms. It's said that his spirit still haunts the rooms where his ashes were spread, and occasionally workers have heard the organ pipes make noise even when no one else is nearby. In the main part of the theater, as guests look around at the interior design, the theater looks like it could have been a large church, which is what it was first designed for. So the religious overtones throughout the building give an old haunting feeling from the spiritual realm beyond. Although it's a place for show business and theater now, actors and staff are reported hearing the footsteps of invisible audience members. While they rehearse or do sound check on stage, actors have heard spirits walking up and down the aisles, even though the rows of seats are completely empty. Footsteps echo through the room, but no one can be seen. Sometimes the actors will also see disembodied heads of ghosts floating in one of the seats, watching them from the dark. No one knows what they want, or why they're stuck inside the theater, but luckily many of them are harmless, and they only want to watch the show. Moving on to our next haunted place on the list, is a location that is plagued by jealous ghosts and their behavior is just plain out bad for business. If you head north out of downtown, you'll eventually reach the neighborhood of the historic Garden Hills in Atlanta. Along a quiet road where trees hang over the sidewalks and neighbors walk their dogs, a three-story building sits quietly between two small apartment buildings. Here, the Beverly Hills Inn on Sheridan Drive provides a nice bed and breakfast, and each room is connected to a patio or balcony. The rooms are decorated with old wooden furniture, gold frame paintings, and an outdated radiator unit that shows off how old the building is. Built in 1929, the building has been around for nearly a 100 years. It's been a bed and breakfast in a few different businesses throughout the years, but its haunting energy comes from the days when many of the rooms acted as a retirement home for old widows. What had once been a romantic atmosphere where couples could get away for the weekend became a hostile place where lovers weren't welcome. The spirits of the old widows are constantly reminded of how their husbands are dead and their spirits aren't a part of this realm any longer. The widows were separated from their soulmates and now they're trapped in this realm, unable to reconnect with their husbands in the afterlife. Whatever terrible things they did in their life to deserve being stuck in the Beverly Hills Inn is a mystery, but their ghosts are here to stay. And their anger makes them lash out at guests, especially the lovers looking for a romantic getaway. Three widowed spirits haunt the third floor. They linger in the guest bedrooms where smoky, silent figures appear, often at night. And when they become enraged, they scream out and knock objects from tables. When guests have tried capturing the widows in photographs, they always disappear. But small, unexplained orbs have shown up later in the pictures, which usually means that the presence of paranormal energy is nearby. One night, Atlanta's radio host from the show The Burt Show Tried to stay at the inn the entire night. But the unexplained paranormal activities drove them out of the house. The main host had felt someone staring at him while he tried to sleep in one of the rooms. Although no one was there, he kept sensing someone in the corner of the room every time he closed his eyes. Before long, he couldn't take it anymore. So his crew packed up their gear and left. For whatever reason, the widows have been trapped in the Beverly Hills Inn. And since they can't find peace, And be with their soulmates they'll continue haunting the guests for years to come many of the other spirits in atlanta who still haven't found peace are buried in oakland cemetery just southeast of downtown it's the oldest and largest cemetery in the city surrounded by large brick walls its grounds are paved with brick walkways and old trees hang over the rows of headstones 27 atlanta mayors have been buried there along with many other famous historical figures from the city An old story suggests that a soldier from World War I buried treasure somewhere in the cemetery before he was shipped off to France, where he ended up dying in combat. But the history of the cemetery goes back much farther than that. The oldest grave is dated 1850, where Dr. James Neeson was buried. Before his death, James always told his friends and family that he feared being buried alive. So before he died, he made his family promise that they would have his jugular vein cut out. In order to make sure he was dead before burying him even though many of them thought it was a bit much they made sure the mortician sliced his jugular before putting him in the casket not far from the burial site the famous singer kenny rogers rests in above ground tomb but since the last burial plot was sold in 1884 the rogers family had to buy the deed to the burial site from the previous owners and since all the plots have been sold most of the plots are over a 100 years old Not far from Kenny Rogers' tomb is the old Confederate burial ground. Almost 7,000 Confederate soldiers were buried here during the war, and nearly 3,000 of those are still unknown or have never been identified today. This specific plot of land in the cemetery is said to have the most paranormal activity. Visitors have seen Confederate troops dressed in uniforms roaming around the area, and one person has also seen a Confederate soldier hanging by the neck from one of the trees many believe that this ghost might have been one of the victims of a historic execution that took place inside of the cemetery on june 7, 1862 near the southern wall of the cemetery there was an execution of eight confederate raiders they were hanged for capturing the locomotive general near Kennesaw, georgia and many believe those men never passed on into the afterlife a few other visitors to the cemetery have heard a disembodied voice reading a roll call of his fallen confederate soldiers many who have heard the roll call say that their own names have even been added to the list so if you hear this voice in the cemetery this might suggest that your death is coming sooner than you think and if you're really lucky you'll pass on into the afterlife but if you're not you'll be trapped in the realm between life and death along with the rest of the tortured spirits there's definitely a common thing among many of these places that we talked about in this episode definitely The Civil War clearly had a huge impact on the area and all the violence and death that ensued due to the war definitely has left its residual mark on the land here. I mean, the cemeteries are full of just this residual energy from all the negativity that took place years prior. I think it makes complete sense that a cemetery would be haunted. I think most cemeteries are haunted in some way. Yeah, I bet. Especially with just this volume of of deaths that occurred and especially in the situation with the civil war and just how much anger and violence that took place here i mean yeah it it makes complete sense that's the biggest
0: similarity with these paranormal cases is yeah they tend to dwell in very negative places it's like they feed off of it and yeah
1: i mean i can't even imagine seeing an apparition of a of like a confederate soldier or something that'd be that'd oh, just be crazy. Yeah. the fact that people do this fairly often is is kind of crazy it makes it me want to go to some of these places and see for myself i mean oh i know that'd probably be one of the most intense paranormal experiences you could have absolutely having an apparition and that would manifest in front of you yeah
0: and that would be the thing that would solidify my belief i in know right I know. I know you know because i am a believer but that seeing it herself is just obvious. especially
1: like a human apparition of, yeah. of a spirit that would definitely be the icing on the cake <laughs> It sure. would so yeah all these were really interesting to me yeah i want to know which place in the atlanta area you found to be the most intriguing or honestly the most spooky or haunted in your opinion also let me know if there's any places i might have missed i mean when we're talking about these places we're trying to look for the locations that have the most to talk about right the yeah. most sightings the most activity but we're always going to miss some of the places because you know we could probably do a three-hour episode oh of easily every single place that's yeah. haunted in in the atlanta area but we wanted to zone in on the area around atlanta and inside of downtown and i think we covered some pretty pretty haunted places yeah here.
0: for sure and let us know if you visited any of these places oh, yeah.
1: yourself and it's always interesting to hear oh, first person yeah. perspectives on what you experienced while maybe staying at the Ellis Hotel oh absolutely if you've ever been to the Marietta Museum or or the Kennesaw house I'd be interested to hear if you had oh, yeah. any experiences while being there
0: and feel free to tag us with any pictures uh, on our Twitter at lights Out Cast, and we'd love to see your experience yeah yeah definitely
1: but we'll go ahead and wrap up today's episode there thanks again for joining us for another episode of lights out we'll be back next week we'll actually be covering uh, a serial killer one that's been very highly requested and so we will see you then but until next time lights out everybody